1: Welcome to the Program Warning with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, President of World Ministries International. Today, we are going to listen to a recording made February 11, 2006, where Dr. Hansen introduces his associate pastor, Ty Gulstrom, who shares the message, The Secret of Contentment. Now, let's begin.
2: It's good to be back from Africa, although we had a great time in Africa, the team that went with in two weeks from today, we'll show a PowerPoint of Kenya, the meetings in Kenya, things that were going on there, and it was good to be with the, the church back there that I used to pastor. Uh, we met with some key leadership, leaders that I would trained, those that were on our staff as far as the local church. They have developed and leading in areas of the church throughout Kenya as far as on executive committees, and it was just good to see that. Then I met with key bishops, one of them that has always been very close to the president of the nation. And we're looking forward to November, to uh, returning and holding a very large series of meetings in Nairobi with bishops. We'll have probably about 400 bishops there. And I don't know how many pastors, but the different Sundays will be in two separate churches of 12,000 apiece and then um, in between These 400 bishops and pastors and then probably crusade meetings at night. That will be in November. Two weeks from today, we'll show you some pictures of this last trip, which was not meant for leadership particularly, but to visit a particular church and see how they're doing and to help where we could. And we did that. We put in some electricity, and I'll tell you more about it in two weeks as we're going to help them get some land. But we did meet with, again, leaders that I've known for uh, 20 years and We're going to be holding some large crusade meetings in November. We have a class coming up. What's the name of that class? Spiritual Deception Biblical Studies. I think that'll be excellent. These courses are on a university level, although they're on a practical level, so it's not academia, but you'd just thoroughly enjoy it. But it is things that you can take for credit. Especially if you're serious and you want to learn more of the things of God, want to go more into ministry, it'd be a good thing for you to attend. That's a course that I think deals with gossip. We just finished a course that dealt with anger management. Just excellent. I wrote an article on church restoration when I was a presbyter for the Assemblies of God in Kenya, and that was because of the problems that I saw and I dealt with constantly as a leader of the Assemblies of God. Constant gossip, constant undermining from people in the church, assistant pastors, and other things. Now, this is a normal thing. We must understand that. I just came from a funeral, my brother's funeral. I had to come back from Africa early because of my brother. And we know that situation, nine years of fighting this brain tumor. The Lord's seen fit to promote him. But I was there Monday in Spokane, First Assembly of God. It's a very large church. There was probably at least 50 ministers. Three leaders from the Assemblies of God in Springfield, Missouri flew in. Different leaders from the Northwest District, including our district superintendent, flew in. Five of us did the funeral. I was one of the ministers. and I remember the district superintendent mentioning how Jim, he was many things. He had been a lawyer for the Assemblies of God, a pastor, a missionary. But he handled church disputes a lot. And this one assistant pastor was coming against the senior pastor, which at that time was the district superintendent, although he wasn't district superintendent then. And he said, Jim was a peacemaker. He sat there for eight hours mitigating, although he, in the breaks he was amazed. He said how I didn't come over the table and just strangle that assistant because he was so arrogant and done so much gossiping. And it's hard to believe that people would do this, but they do it. We've seen Nonsense. But he said, I was amazed how he watched this lying going on for eight hours. But he was a peacemaker. I think this next class, dealing with gossip, will be extremely important. I've written a couple more articles on church restoration dealing with the motivation behind slander gossip. Why do people do it? It really comes down to a basic issue of selfishness and you don't get your way like a little child then you scream and pout and do whatever you're going to do. I mean, that's a very basic explanation. But for 10 hours, we'll break it down. And then through your self-study, what is the motivation why people cause problems in churches and ministries? Why do they cause trouble? Why do they gossip? Why do they try to separate and malign? Why don't they meet properly face-to-face with the leadership? Why do they refuse? You know what I'm saying? amazing for 30 years as I've worked on different committees, denominations, and yet you have the same people within that group that would judge somebody else for behavior, for sin. And these are the best people they've ever worked with, but when something goes wrong with them, then no longer, these very men that are the best people are the best people. Now they're yes men, now they're this, now they're that. It's just so sad, so sad. And what I do is I deal with problems in the world, in the government and in the church. Problems of leaders that cannot follow Christ's protocol to talk properly for reconciliation through the right method, the right means. And there's never excuse for violating it. There is never an excuse. It's always selfish. It's always to frame somebody else and to have your own way. If there's anything that I plan to do from now on is to deal with more of this area of dealing with this type of immaturity because it's hurting the body around the world. It's hurting the body in America. And I plan to get more and more involved into church restoration with leadership in America and around the world dealing with these type of issues because there's no reason not to. Be like you with your children. Instead of your children then wanting to talk to you and then they want to talk to other people. And why? Well, they're immature and they have a one-sided view. But then the bottom line is they want their way and to do that they have to hurt you. It's the same way on an adult level. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's wrong. There's no reason for it. Church restoration goes to the person and goes direct to restore the relationship. To restore to restore, to restore a relationship, to heal it and make it stronger. And when you violate it, you're not restoring, you're hurting that relationship. You're abusing it. We learned in that class on anger. Three sins are justifiable. Injustice, idolatry, and betrayal. Whenever you don't go to a person that you have a grievance in, them alone that's injustice. It's betrayal. It breaks a relationship. And when you go and you go alone, it's to restore the relationship, to heal it, to make it stronger. Amen? And if I have to bring in another pastor, it's then to, again, to restore and heal it. Not to embarrass, not to condemn, not to separate, but to heal. So the friendship can be stronger, not separated. These are the motives behind it. That's why I'm so strong on church restoration and protocol. When you violate it, it hurts. There is no, no, no excuse. If you violate protocol, your own integrity is up for question. What's the motive? What's the intent? Why? Because it's not what Christ commanded. See, I'm very strong on this. I dealt with it before I ever moved to America. I've dealt with it since I've been in America. I just came back with a funeral and talking with pastor after pastor, telling me their war stories of the problems. It's a problem that has to be dealt with and continually dealt with in the organized church. Because the enemy cannot destroy the church. It's within the church, carnality. The soul is the will, mind, and emotion. When it's not submitted to the will of God, that is what destroys the church. And we all in our life has hurt the church haven't we all sure we all have and we all struggle with this until we die because our carnality is constantly it never totally dies forever it resurrects whenever you get upset doesn't it if you don't think it never resurrects i would like to be with you 24 hours and i'll say oops it resurrected oops it resurrected oops it resurrected somebody cuts you off and what do you do i don't know what you do Maybe you're cool as a cucumber. Maybe you get mad. Maybe you, I don't know. But our carnality always resurrects. That's the carnal nature. It's understandable. And to some extent, it's normal. But we can continue to let our will be submitted to the will of God and to understand it and to make sure it stays where it's supposed to be. And when it resurrects, we say, God, forgive me. And if we hurt somebody, hey, forgive me. And we continue. And we forgive one another. Amen? That's what we're supposed to do. I'm very strong on it because I'm very strong on church restoration, on healing, on relationships being stronger, not being separated. I'm very, very strong on it. I've been that way for 20 years. Praise the Lord. Okay. Pastor Ty, you had an announcement.
3: Amen. I'm going to have Sister Terry come up, if you would, Terry. We want to acknowledge, Pastor, that we know you've had a difficult time. And when, when you were in Africa, we were and found out that your brother had passed away, we were, well, we were grieved, because we've we've been battling in the Spirit, praying uh, for the last, uh, what's it been, nine years or so, and I remember when I first started dating Tamara, at the very beginning, 1996, I think it was that year uh, that he was diagnosed, so as long as I've known Pastor and and Pastor Jim and the whole family, I've known about the struggle that uh, Pastor Jim has gone through, and and I know how it's been very hard on Pastor Hanson. And we prayed very hard as a life group and as a church that when, the, when it came that we know that uh, the funeral was going to be on Monday and we knew you weren't getting in town till Tuesday, we were not comfortable with that. We wanted so much for, for Pastor Hanson to be at his brother's funeral. And so we prayed that God, that they would answer the email, see the email, be able to change their flight and get back here. And when we found out within about a day and a half later that that truly happened, we were very excited that the Lord orchestrated all those plans that he could come back and not only just be a part but to, just to be at his at his brother's funeral which i think is very important for that grieving process that closure process and and to know that you come back from a international mission trip and then go straight to spokane to your brother's funeral is i don't know how to relate to that And i know it was very difficult for you and we just want to let you know that we love you very much and we care about you very much and we're grieving with you very much there's a card that I didn't get a chance for everyone to sign it. I apologize for that. I've been trying to sneak it around here as much as I could. But uh, one thing I know that though maybe not everyone's signatures on here, all of our hearts are, are with you, and we love you very much. And we're getting something together that we want to present to you probably in a couple of weeks is what we're hoping. And I'm going to have Terry just acknowledge because a lot of you have contributed to that, and if you want to contribute to it, let me know.
4: Pastor, we just wanted to, as a church family, be a support to you in this time. And Like Pastor Ty said, you know, we, we do grieve with you and we know that it's the card that I already gave you and it said, you know, the impact of one life. And so we know that Jim's life had a big impact and that he was submitted to the potter's hand and he really did a lot for the Lord. He used his life and, um, you know, the limited years that he had. But we just, um, we want to let you know that We appreciate you and and what you're going through now. And so we wanted to do a card from your church family and then give you a tangible remembrance, something that you could, it's a plaque that we're putting together, personalized plaque. We want that to just be a reminder to you that your church family loves you and and that we appreciate what you're going through and and we want to be there for you in whatever way we can. God bless you.
3: I'd like to, to pray with, for Pastor Pastor E.J., Pastor Tom, would you come? I just felt impressed that we ought to pray and ask the Lord to continue to minister to Pastor Hanson. And obviously we're talking about more than just Pastor Hanson, but the whole Hanson family, and uh, that the Lord would just bring his comforting. I know Pastor and, and Jim were very close. And as I look at my sons, Jeremiah and Isaiah, and they're about the same age difference, I think, as Pastor and Jim were. And just for me to envision someday that relationship being broken up early by anything uh, you start to to really grieve and so uh, i know that uh, there's many memories that come to pastor's mind of growing up from children into adolescence and into adulthood of things they got into and and many memories and many things that uh, are a flood of memories for him and and so we want to ask the lord to really bless pastor hansen uh, first and foremost in the whole family and so lord we just again don't know what to say other than we just need you Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, Comforter, you are truly the God of all comfort. You are truly the one that brings to us stability, even in the midst of instability, Lord. And so, Father, we pray right now for Pastor Hanson that you would be his, his fortress, Lord, that you would be his strong tower, that you would be, Lord, everything that he needs from you right now, Lord. We take great comfort in knowing, Lord, that you are right here in the midst of this situation, Lord. We we take great comfort in knowing that you can meet all of our emotional needs and and physical needs, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you would bless Pastor Hanson, Lord, that you would just allow Holy Spirit to touch him in such a way to bring about comfort, Lord, in the midst of difficult times, Lord God. And so, Father, we recognize that you are so awesome and so wonderful. And we just, again, want to say we love you. And uh, we love Pastor Hanson and the Hanson family. We love Pastor Jim. We're grateful on one hand that he is with you, Lord. It's where we all aspire to be. That is our hope in Jesus Christ. Yet it's difficult for us that he's not here with us, Lord. And and so, Father, I pray that you would comfort, Pastor, comfort all of the the Hanson family. I pray for Paula and for the children, Lord, and for Grandma Bubbles and Grandpa Hanson. Lord, Father, we just pray that you would be the God of all comfort to the Hanson family right now, Lord God, that you would be with them, be so near to them, Lord God. May they find stability in this difficult time upon Jesus Christ. And Lord, we recognize how you've used Pastor Jim in such marvelous ways. He's had a great influence on many people. And the testimonies that came forth, I'm sure, at at the funeral were a testimony to what Jim has done for the kingdom of God, that he truly is causing that ripple effect that has blessed people. And we recognize, Lord, that even through his death, the same way that through your death came life, that through the death of Pastor Jim, that life has been had, that you have used his death to touch people, Lord. And Father, I just recognize that there were probably people at that funeral and people that have heard about this that were deeply touched and even convicted about their own relationship with Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would use the death of one of your servants to bring life to another. And so, Father, we just uh, receive you as our comfort. Bless our pastor, Pastor Hanson, Lord God. Bless him really good, Lord. Bless him, Lord God. Bless him, Lord God. Bless him, Lord God. Brewing him through this, Lord God, in such a powerful and a wonderful way. And we just say we love you, and we commit, Pastor Hanson and the family and all that are grieving, to
2: you and to your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. I didn't obviously know that they were going to do that. But uh, I, I do deeply appreciate that. I didn't get the word for three days. I was uh, every day in meetings. And um, I remember EJ brought in the message to me, the email, that uh, he went on to be with the Lord. And um, I, I felt that time was close. That's why I flew a week before I went to Africa to Missouri to be with him, and I felt there either had to be a miracle or he was going to go on to be with the Lord. And um, when A.J. gave me the message, I had a meeting with a pastor and a pastor that I'd raised, and now he's on the executive of a denomination and doing well. And I, I just walked in and held his hand, and <clears throat> I couldn't talk for maybe five minutes. I just held his hand. And tears started to come down. And I said, Tobias, because uh, he knew my brother. My brother had gone to Africa and preached when I was there. And I said, uh, I just got word that my brother went on to be with the Lord. And he said, I was just going to ask you, how's your brother? Because he'd, they'd been praying for Jim. He's been fighting this brain tumor. When we first knew, he, he had three weeks to live, then three months, then three years. And It's amazing. The first time I heard about him having a brain tumor i was in ethiopia again in pastor meetings and i just got there and my wife called me and said your brother has three weeks to live Uh, he has a brain tumor are you coming home and i just remembered all of the emotions i went through and told her i had to go because i got immediately sick and had to go into the toilet and, and jim had come to my house right before i flew to ethiopia and he said john We've got to really pray for one another. The Hanson family is dedicated to serve God with all her heart, and the devil's going to try to take us out. And those words flushed through my mind. They just rolled through my mind. Wow. He just told me now I'm in Ethiopia. Now he has a brain tumor. I just got sick, but then I said, Lord, should I go back? He said, no, start to pray and fast. So I went on a week fast, and I saw a couple of visions, and one of panama but he wasn't there and but we fasted and we prayed and nine years later he now has gone on three weeks turned to three months to three years to nine years and in that time his children now have three of them have gone through bible college into seminary and one is graduating this year from the bible college and the other is still in it but jordan is in seminary and i believe all directly because of these last nine years Instead of him in Panama and the children in business or whatever, they were now in Springfield, Missouri, at the headquarters in Bible College. So many things changed. We don't know why things happened, but I do know it changed his whole four children's lives. The one came back to know the Lord, Jamie. The other three are dedicated to serve the Lord around the world. So we don't know why sometimes. But there are answers that we don't know. Amen? I don't understand always the sovereignty of God, and I don't always agree with it, frankly. <laughs> I don't agree all the time with the sovereignty of God. I do submit my will under it, though I don't get bitter. I learned not to do that clear back from 80 to 85 when I did get bitter with his sovereignty and went into depression over it. I repented of that in 1985, and I don't get bitter at all. There's no bitterness here. There's, it's, it's a whole bunch of emotions. There's sorrow. There, there's joy. There's all of that, but there's no bitterness because I know he's a lot happier. And praise the Lord. Sorrow that we won't see him anymore till we join him or the Lord returns. All those emotions, but there's no bitterness, and and that's what I try to encourage people wherever I go. That Barry family, don't be bitter. David uh, fasted for his for his baby boy, and when the Lord took him, he washed his face and blessed be the name of the lord that's what we're supposed to be jim was a great leader but he was a great follower and and that's what uh, the district superintendent said that this was a great follower he knew how to lead but he knew how to come under church authority he never rebelled in fact he was a peacemaker helping other people find peace instead of rebelling and that's what i've tried to be as a peacemaker follow church restoration That church restoration is probably one of my number one priorities through the church around the world. Because when we don't do it, we hurt the church. The enemy cannot hurt the church other than our carnal nature he works through. And if we submit it to him, he hurts us through each other. He has no authority to hurt us. He can't hurt us. He was defeated. It's only when he can work through your carnal nature can he then hurt people. Amen? He was defeated. The enemy's dead. Unless he lives through you. And unfortunately, he does live through us. And we've got to daily recognize it and repent. And so love can conquer, love can win, and God's church can be powerful. I will read this, and I do thank you deeply for it. I didn't have any idea you were going to do this. It took me totally by surprise. But it, it is a wonderful feeling, and I do thank you deeply for, for this. I could tell you a lot of stories about Jim, things that make you laugh and cry. And I mean, we were normal boys and teenagers. Uh, I mean, I remember, uh, I remember my father, who was a pastor of eight churches and a missionary. I remember him um, visiting somebody in his congregation. It's like if I visit you, and then one of my children, although I don't have small children other than Mimi's only still, Mimi's going on 13, but I have grandchildren and although I think I did this when I was about 12, I wasn't that small. But uh, my parents were upstairs visiting and, and I, uh, Jim and I were downstairs and we saw some mice and there was a mouse hole and we thought, we will help this precious lady my dad is praying for. And so we're going to get rid of her mice. So we got some paper and, and uh, bark and we're going to burn these mice out. Well, that's a bad idea. Although, I, you know, you would think 12 and 13-year-olds would have better sense because we're only a year apart. He's a year younger. And, but I did not think about burning down the house. I thought about uh, smoking out the mice. Well, we lit the fire, and the adults came, and uh, the house did not burn down, but we sure felt smoke. I remember uh, my brother... We didn't get it right on the spot, but when we got home, my brother ran for the bathtub. And I didn't go into this depth in the funeral. I know they would have really enjoyed the story, but uh, he ran for the bathtub, stripped his clothes, jumped in the bathtub, thinking, you know, him being naked in the water, in the bath, it would save him. But boy, my my dad went right behind him in that bathtub, took him out of the bathtub, and on a bare bottom, he got it i'll never forget that i went in the other room and i think i put a book in and put some padding and uh just kept my clothes on and i might have got it. it still hurt believe me it hurt but i think he did not catch the book that time <laughs> i'm just you know we were very human very teenagers i, I remember another time um we drove uh, a car on Lake Banks. My dad was pastoring an electric city and it was on the ice in the winter. And we got out in the middle of the, the lake and we heard some cracking. And uh, you know, that wasn't a good idea either. We did get the car off before the hole fell in, but I mean just things you do. Foolish things. But things you do. And I remember when they came to Africa with us over there and a couple hundred water buffalo surrounded the truck I was in. And now, five five animals are the most dangerous in Africa that will kill you. And uh, elephant will kill you if you if you're foolish enough to get in its way. A simba, a lion will kill you. Crocodile will kill you. Water buffalo will kill you. And um, rhino will kill you. And uh, we were surrounded by a couple hundred water buffalo. And the, and the most dangerous in Africa, the most deaths, is water buffalo. And uh, I remember there was a lot of comments in the truck that day. Jeannie was there, and Talitha, and Tamara, and, and all of them, and Jim and Paula. That was an exciting time, an exciting time. But anyway, we were just normal boys, normal teenagers. That, uh, and, but I wasn't a teenager then. I was a Pastor. And I still got ourselves into some trouble, you know. Drove too close. The herd surrounded me, and here we were. So Paula never forgets that. She tells me every time she sees me how. Huh? And then we have a movie on it. My brother was taking video, and you could hear the conversation. So you could you could hear the emotions. <laughs> You're going to kill us, John, and <laughs> we're surrounded. I you guys uh, hope and pray and wait, and but anyway, it was it was fun. It was exciting. And it was fun because we lived through it. Amen? Amen. It wouldn't be fun if somebody got hurt. But now that we lived through it, you you can tell the story and laugh. But we all do things that are foolish. Amen? Because we're human. We're human. And thank God he understands all of that and he laughs with us and helps us grow up, forgives us. I thank God that God is my God and he's my Savior. And Jesus forgives and he understands, don't you? Praise the Lord. Well, my heart
3: is stirred. For those of you that didn't know Pastor Jim, trust me, he was a wonderful man. He's a living testimony to me of how to react in the midst of crisis and trials because one thing, if you were to ask his family about how he did through nine years of multiple surgeries and all that stuff, he'd never complained not once. And uh, he's a living epistle to me, to be read and to be seen and understood by all people around him. And that is that rippling effect. He has really in so many ways has touched and influenced so many people. But that's one of the ways that he's deeply influenced me is the fact that he could go through so much and be a man that was wonderfully talented and gifted and sharp and to see the effects of what the tumor has done on his body yet to know that he had never once complained. That is, what a testimony, yeah. Huh? What a perspective that puts on my own life. Yeah? I think one of the, the valuable things about when one of our brothers or sisters goes to be with the Lord is it, it is an instant reality check, isn't it? It's an instant time of, of putting things back into a godly perspective in your life. And um, I know it's done it for me, even though I wasn't able to take part in the, in the funeral services, just reflecting on the whole circumstances has deeply helped me to put things back into a godly perspective. In line with that is what I want to speak about today. In the last couple of weeks in our church, we've talked about the God of all comfort, amen? That He is truly our God of all comfort. We talked about satisfaction. And my question to you in the last couple of weeks was, are you satisfied with God? Not that He's not perfectly satisfied. He's awesome, amen? But are you satisfied? Are you satisfied with the one who is perfectly satisfying? Are you satisfied with your relationship with Jesus Christ? My question to you today is, are you content? Are you content in your relationship with the Lord? But more than that, are you content with how you interact with the world? And this is what the Lord has been challenging me with in these last couple of weeks. My mom gave me a book about, I'd say, three weeks ago. It's called Margin. Everyone ever heard of that book called Margin. It's written by a Christian doctor that speaks a lot for the Christian Medical Dental Association. And I have never heard of him nor the book before. But I tell you what, like I've been saying to you all, God has been in my grill about my life. And what, it doesn't matter, wherever I pick up, whatever someone gives me to read, he's speaking right to what I need right now. And this book has really touched my life about margin, having margin in your life. And uh, it's been a great book, and it had a chapter about this topic of health through contentment. And it challenged me to think about my relationship with the Lord and to think about how I relate to this world. Paul said, I think it was in Philippians chapter four, I think it was verse 12, he says, I have found the secret of being content through all things. And I started meditating on that verse and he had found the secret of contentment. And when he started thinking about that, you think about the things of, that's promoted in this world. There are a lot of things that are promoted in this world that'll say, this is how you find contentment. Isn't it? Whenever you turn the TV on, is that, that's not what's glaring in our faces, is, is this is what you need to find contentment. And this culture, like I believe no other culture, probably in the history of the world, where you can go almost anywhere, there'll be billboards, there's always advertising, there's always this thrust of, this is how you find contentment. And Paul said that he found the secret of finding contentment. And it challenged me to ask you, have you found the secret of contentment? Amen? So we're going to talk just a few minutes today about contentment. You know, when I went to Romania in 1996, and then the next year, 1997, when I went to Africa, and I came back, I really had a hard time. I've testified to you before that the culture shock wasn't going to Africa. It was coming back to America. I, I seemed, I was thirsting after the Lord. I was, I was really only kind of a new believer, only a couple of years in the Lord, and really, for the first time in my life, making a solid commitment to follow Jesus Christ. And I was thirsty for the Lord in 1997. And so when I went to Africa, there's so many things about Africa you can talk about, but simplicity is going to be one of them. And one thing that amazed me is we went into this huge slum area. And maybe pastor knows the statistics, but you go into this huge area, and it's just acres and acres and acres full of mud and dung huts covered by tin. And there must be just be tens of thousands of people. One million people. Is that the one we visited? In Kibera. One million people just slammed into this, how, I don't know, maybe five or ten square miles. A million people. And we went there one night, and we walked through, and, it, and when you get to the entrance of it, I mean, you you're amazing through all these things, and you're, you're walking over. I mean, their, their sewer system is the pathway you're walking and so there's a reality check. In, and every step you're taking in Africa, there's a reality check that's checking you. Yeah? And so you're, you're walking over, and, and you've got the sewer system. That's the same thing as the walkway. And, and you, just the smell and the atmosphere. I Like I said with Liberia, I can explain it to you, but it's something about hearing it, about smelling it, about tasting it, that I cannot communicate to you. And we went to... It was a Wednesday night, I believe, and it was, a, it was the life group night. And we went out and we went into the slums to the life group that was established in those slums. And to see the joy, to see the contentment upon those Christians was the single most overwhelming thing that happened to me in Africa. I went to the, the lowest of the low. I went to the people that are on the, the lowest of the socioeconomic economic place in the world probably i had to spend a lot of money to go there but i went there and i saw the people that by the world's perspective are the very lowest of any resource materially but one thing i found in those christians was joy and contentment and i tell you what they did more for me in showing me that than anything i did for them Sure, we gave him some money, and we, we you can 't buy contentment. We try, don't we? We try so hard to buy contentment, and this world would tell you that you need to buy contentment. If you have this or you 're at this platform, this pecking, then you 'll be content. but it 's not true, is it? Some of the most discontented and unjoyful people are the ones that have the most material possessions. It's true, yeah? And what I saw in Africa was the people that had nothing. They had nothing. You go into their mud hut, and I have great pictures of it. And it's just a small little thing. It might be 10 feet by 12 feet, and there might be a family of 6 or 8 or 10 in that thing. And all they have to separate a room is maybe a a, a curtain or something. But they would come and they would give you nuts and and cocoa, and they wouldn't have enough for themselves, but they were sure happy to bless you with it. And to see how excited and how joyful, they had nothing. But they had everything. And that so stirred me. And I didn't know the word contentment. I haven't thought about it. But as I've been meditating on the Lord, just challenged me about my contentment in my relationship to Christ, in my relationship to this world. He brought me back about nine years ago to 1997 and says, that's what you were attracted to. They had freedom because they were content. And he's challenging me, and I want to challenge you, is that a lot of times we don't have freedom because we're in discontent. We're always looking to the future. You see, one thing about America that I've seen, and I don't see it all over the world, is that we always bank on the future. We always think that we have the future. We think that tomorrow is really going to be there, and next week, and next month, and you can plan and do this, and you got all this strategy for contentment and security. We believe we own the future. We can invest in the future. We know the future is going to be there. And one of the wonderful things about funerals is that reality check, if you let it, will cut that down. That we don't own tomorrow or next week or next month. Should we be wise in planning? I'm not talking about that. But recognize that the Lord owns your breath. He can take you whenever He wants. Amen? And we need to find contentment. I want to spend just a few minutes talking about contentment. I talked about the freedom that comes with contentment. Paul says that I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well fed or hungry whether living in plenty or in want. See, Paul learned the secret. And the one thing I want you to leave with today is, have you learned the secret? You're not going to learn the secret today. You're not going to learn the secret because I preach about it. The secret has to be revealed to you, and you have to respond to it. That's one thing of the fallacies. You think if you just hear something, that means you own it. You don't own it. You will not leave here with contentment if you don't have it today. But the challenge I want to bring to you today is, I want to make you a little bit uncomfortable. Is that okay? I want to bring just a little bit of uncomfortableness to you. Not condemnation, but right up to that edge. Okay? If I get to the condemnation part, just start, give me a sign or something. I'm going to get right up to condemnation. I'm hoping it's called conviction. You know, a conviction is a good thing, I think. I think we need a little bit more conviction on some of these areas of my life. I know I do. Because the Lord has challenged me and he says, Ty, you have a lot of discontent. Out of discontent comes a lot of things. Anger, a lot of times, comes out of discontent. And so what happens is we're angry. Why am I so angry about this? Why do I have this angry edge and, and this kind of thing? And, and it came down to the Lord saying, you're discontent. You need something more before you'll be content. And can I surmise you can, you, can you fathom this possibility? If the Lord never did another thing for you, if He never, never brought another paycheck or another blessing, could we say that He's done enough for you? Does the Lord need to do more for you than He has already done before He can prove to you and you can find contentment in it? Do you need to have a higher economic scale? Do you need to make more money? Do you need a certain power or a certain influence, certain relationships? Is there something that you need before you're going to be finally content? The Lord is challenging me, and I hope He challenges all of us today. He's not just the God of all comfort. He is not just the God who wants to satisfy you, but He also wants you to find contentment in Him such that you, like Paul, can find the secret of contentment. The thing about the secret of contentment is there's one thing. You are totally dependent on God. He has to give you contentment. I believe it's totally the divine thing. Everything that's good and everything that's wonderful is from the Lord. Contentment is a gift from God, but like all gifts from God, there are conditions to them. Your will must desire it. He is willing to reveal the secret to you. He he will do it in your life, but you must desire it. You must seek after it. You must want to find the secret of how to be content. And one of the things that I believe drives depression in our society, probably like no society on earth, is that we constantly are in the illusion that if we just get to this certain next step, then I'll find contentment. But the problem is it never gets there, does it? It's like a chasing after the wind. Solomon tried it, and he said it was foolishness. He says like chasing after the wind. Yeah? Contentment, it seems so intangible. We think that if I just, okay, then i wait, I was just there last week. I had that thing. I, now I'm so discontent. Well, maybe if I get this thing or this relationship or this job or this thing or this bill paid off, then I'll be content. And then you get it paid off. No, I was, I thought that was it. But maybe it's something else. And we go through this whole thing. And it's not so much on the conscious level, you know, it's really kind of built into us. And it's really built in and driven by this culture. This culture is so pervasive. The biggest thing when I looked at Africa versus America was contentment, discontent. We are in a nation of discontent. And you know what drives the economy of America? Discontent. Discontent. That's what drives our economy. That is why we're the richest nation on earth is discontent. Has anyone ever told you that before? I bet not. Discontent drives our economy Envy and jealousies Drives our economy The author of the book That I've been mentioning Margin He says what that's like It's like planting a bunch of In the fall time whenever you plant Karen when do you plant I don't know But you plant a bunch of weeds right You plant a bunch of weeds You just to fill up your garden with a bunch of weeds One thing I can guarantee you You have a lot of green stuff But when it's time to eat There's nothing to eat you'll be discontented and that's what the world that's what this that's what America has sown into us just get more of the green stuff but when it comes down to it there's nothing satisfying in it there's nothing that feeds you there's nothing and you keep going out and you keep trying harder this economy is fed by our discontent and I want to challenge you today to see because I believe all of us are influenced by this culture all of us, I am influenced by, the, you have to be influenced by this culture. Doesn't matter what culture you're in, you're gonna be influenced by that culture. But there is a command from God what? To not be influenced by the culture, not be influenced by your scenario, but have your mind and your will transformed by the Word of God. If you are listening more to the advertisements on TV to the Word of God, then I can say you are gonna be heavily influenced by the culture. When I'm watching a football game, you know the part I don't want my children to watch? The commercials. Because the football game can be going, they're just playing, having a good old time. As soon as that first commercial goes, doesn't matter how, they're focused right in. All the flashing things, and all these stuff, just zone them in. And it's funny because I say, oh, I need to protect my children. I need to protect myself from that. The fool is the person that says they can watch that over and over again and not be influenced. That's the fool. No, no, no. It doesn't influence me. But you look at that person, they're full of discontent. And so the challenge today is, let the Lord challenge you about your contentment. Let the Lord challenge you about how to find the secret of contentment. Here's three things that contentment is not. It is not pretending that things are right when they're not. But instead, the peace that comes from knowing that God is bigger than any problem that he works them out all for your good. So contentment is not pretending. Can I use you, Pastor Hanson? Pastor Hanson, his brother just died. That should be a, a very difficult time, and it has been. For him to pretend, oh, it's no big deal, no big deal, that is not contentment. Contentment is knowing that God will bring him comfort and meet him at the pinnacle of his need. Contentment doesn't mean that you don't cry, that you're not emotional, that things don't affect you. That is not a lack of contentment. And so to pretend when things are going wrong and things are hard and the the, the winds are coming against you, that you get emotional, you're you're being transparent about how you're feeling. That is not a lack of contentment. Contentment is saying the Lord knows I was going to go through this thing before I went through it. Before I was diagnosed with cancer, before this financial problem, whatever it was, the Lord knew it before I did, and I know that He is my God of all comfort, and He'll meet me at the pinnacle of my need. That is contentment. The second thing that contentment is not, contentment is not complacency that defeats any attempt to make things better. But it's instead a willingness to work tirelessly for improvement, yet clinging to God rather than results. You see, we have a part to play in contentment. He's not going to say, you just sit there on your log and just wait for me to come and I'll bring all this. No, he expects us to put our hand to the plow and not to look back. He expects us to do everything we can do. We have to give God something to work with in this relationship thing. Yeah? It's that whole thing of God brings the blessing on your journey. As you're walking, as you're doing the biblical command, as you're doing everything you can in yourself and your relationship to make sure that you're on that path, God brings blessings. God brings contentment. Complacency is not contentment. The third thing, it isn't a feeling of well-being that's contingent on keeping circumstances under your control. But instead, a joy that exists in spite of circumstances, and looks to the God who never varies. And so your circumstances and all your ducks don 't have to be in a row. And if you're able to control all your ducks and you 're trying to control everything and keep things at, at bay, you know in your relationships with your, your spouse or your children and all these things, you're just trying to keep everything under control. That is not contentment. Contentment means that even when circumstances rise up against you, even when you're in a hard time, when there's relationship problems, financial problems, whatever it is that you're going to say, my God is bigger than these things. That's contentment. That is contentment. You see, there is truly a freedom in contentment. Everything about this world would say that's a lie. Everything that's promoted in this society would say that's not true. But there is freedom in contentment. You see, the freedom and contentment means you don't care if you're rich or you don't care if you're poor. Well, that's not a popular gospel, is it? Do you desire to be poor? I'm not asking you to. My point is, contentment doesn't care. That's my point. Will God provide for your needs? Depends on who your God is. If you are your own God, who knows what might happen? But if you're truly in a living, faith-filled relationship with Jesus Christ, then He knows your need. He knows every need that you have. He knows how many hairs on the head. He knows everything you need emotionally and physically and financially. He knows every need that you have, and He'll provide for them the way that He sees fit, not the way that you see fit. The freedom and contentment is not caring whether you're rich or whether you're poor. Is that clear? It's not saying that we should go out and sell everything we have to be poor to find contentment. You'll be very discontent if you do that. My point is the power is the not caring, but saying, Lord, whatever you will. I am not going to fight to be on a certain socioeconomic thing. The world tells me in the United States, I should do that. Keep pecking up. Keep going up. Keep going up. The power and contentment is not caring about that. And wherever God sees fit to place you, you are content in that. doesn't matter if you're rich or you're lower, but you know you're where God wants you. Because he has put you in a place and an atmosphere to be able to communicate the gospel. And is it, is it true that the rich need to hear the gospel as much as the poor? And whatever influence and wherever we're at on the pecking order of America, that God wants to use you and your influence wherever you're at? See, I don't believe that God's going to make everyone in the church rich. Why? Because your only influence will be upon those circles. God is interested in all people. And so he's going to put you in a place that you're going to have the most influence. And if you keep fighting and fighting, i got to be rich, i got to be rich, i got to be rich. He, he might allow you to be rich. But you're not going to be in his will. And you're going to be very discontent. Yeah? Contentment is not caring where you're at there. And just saying, thank you, Lord, that you have provided all my needs. Let me tell you a story about a lady in Vietnam. And she was a pastor's wife. And she wrote... The CMDA with this letter several years back says, my dear friends, you know, around here we are experiencing hardships, but we thank the Lord. He is comforting us and caring for us in every way. When we experience misfortune, adversity, distress and hardship, only then do we see the real blessing of the Lord poured down on us in such a way that we cannot contain it. We have been obliged recently to leave our modest apartment and for over two months have been living on a balcony. The rain has been beating down and soaking us. Sometimes in the middle of the night we are forced to gather our blankets and run to seek refuge in a stairwell. Do you know what I do then? I laugh and praise the Lord because we can still take shelter in the stairwell. I think of how many people are experiencing much worse hardships than I am. Then I remember the words of the Lord To the poor, O Lord, you are a refuge from the storm, a shadow from the heat, Isaiah 25, 4. And then I am greatly comforted. Our Father is the one who, according to the Scriptures, does not break the bruised reed, nor does he put out the flickering lamp. He is the one who looks after the orphan and the widow. He is the one who brings blessing and peace to numberless people. I do not know what words to use in order to describe the love the Lord has shown our family. I can only bow my knee and my heart and offer to the Lord words of deepest thanks and praise. Although we have lost our house and our possessions, we have not lost the Lord. He is enough. With the Lord, I have everything. The only thing I would fear losing is His blessing. Could I ask you and our friends in the churches abroad to continue to pray for me that I will faithfully follow the Lord and serve Him, regardless of what circumstances may be? As for my husband is concerned, I was able to visit him as in prison this past summer. We had a 20 minute conversation that brought us great joy. I greet you with my love, Mrs. Nguyen Tai An. The author of the book concludes by saying, What that she could finish this chapter and that I could be her student. That's what I'm talking about. Is that many times we read the words of Paul and Paul says, I have found and learned to be content in all things. And Paul is not shy about telling you about the all things, is he? He tells you about the 40 minus 1. He tells you about the shipwrecks. He tells you about the betrayals and the beatings. He tells you about the nakedness and the famine. He has been through a lot. And in the midst of that, he can say, I have found the secret of contentment. Yeah? You know, I believe that the Lord loves you enough that some of the reasons that you haven't gone through trials like that is because the Lord loves you that much. He knows how discontented you would be if things went like that. So he'll is just kind of allow it to massage over time if you let him. you got to let him. You see, contentment is always based on our circumstances. If everything's in a row, we can find our contentment. But if some of those things are dropped out, we're discontent, yeah? And so the Lord wants to teach you. It's a never-ending process. The only reason... That Paul suffered the 40-1 and the shipwrecks and all those things, the nakedness and the famine. there's one reason he did because he let the Lord do it. He could have easily said, "No, no, no, I'm a son of a very famous Pharisee. I am high in the pecking order." He had to be willing to give all the socio-economic up. He had to do it. He was on the top. He had to allow himself to be taken to the bottom. But do you see what the Lord did with the life of a person that submits their contentment to the Lord? You will find the secret of contentment if you allow the Lord to truly be the potter's hand in your life. If you want to be your own potter and your own protector and your own Jehovah Jireh, He will let you do that. And you can be perfectly born again, but perfectly discontent. It's a matter of the will. It's a matter of saying yes. It's a matter of saying I want to find the joy of contentment. You have to desire it and want it. And he will reveal the secret and the mystery of it to you. I cannot preach and just give you contentment. There is no sermon that anyone can give that you will leave this place contented. You must submit your will to God and let him examine you and show you your discontent. All of us, every single one of us have discontent in our lives to some measure. And the Lord would ask you today, would you find contentment in me, in our relationship? It's that exchange life principle. He'll reveal it to you as soon as you want it revealed to you. If you don't want it revealed to you, he won't reveal it to you. But if you desire the mystery, if you desire the secret, He will reveal the secret of finding contentment regardless of your circumstance. Can you imagine being a wife with children? A wife of a pastor thrown in the prison, house taken away from you, living on a balcony, rains pouring down, have to take your children and find a stairwell and be able to say, I laugh and release joy in the midst of those circumstances. See, when I came back from Africa, it was a cultural shock because it was a flesh shock. My flesh was shocked. The Lord showed me my amount of discontent. And the only way that you can somehow fathom it is to see someone else that is so low compared to you. yet they're so much more joyful and contented and peaceful, it challenges the very core. Because you have been thought to believe that contentment comes in these things or these powers, or these affluencies, and all these things, everything this world promotes to us. And when that comes crashing down, when you see it's not true, when you see people that have nothing, yet they have all things in Jesus Christ. They're living on the balcony, but they're living in heavenly places at the same time. They have not provided for themselves in their own means. They have allowed the Lord. And whatever the Lord has for them, they're going to praise ye the Lord. We need to know that there is a power of discontent in America. And it has influenced us. It has influenced the church. And I believe one of the things that's going to make the church very powerful is when the people come to a place of contentment in Jesus Christ. What do you need? What is it that you need? Let the Lord challenge you to that. Not just right now. Meditate and pray. Lord, show me my areas of discontent. There's a man named Immanuel Kant that says this. He says, give a man everything he wants. And at that moment, everything will not be everything. Did you catch that? Give a man everything he wants. If I go up to somebody in this car, just give me the list. Every single thing you want. And you can say, I would be fully content if I just had these things. And if I could somehow supply every one of those things, ah, right then, everything would not be everything you would always want more. Yeah? That's the power of discontent. There is no end to it. You'll keep striving after it. And Solomon just explains it so beautifully. He tried, and he tried, and he tried this. He tried sex. He tried money. He tried power. He tried, he tried, he tried. He tried for a lifetime, and he says, it's foolishness. It's like trying to grasp the wind. It's foolishness. I said it before, if you go outside this church today and go down to the supermarket and you start going out and trying to catch the wind, people are going to say, you need to be institutionalized because you'll be running around grabbing the wind. That's the foolishness of chasing after things. That's the analogy. Do you understand it? That's how foolish it is in the eyes of God when you go after things to try to find contentment. It's as as foolish as going around like this. We would call the police and we'd have them arrested and taken away if people were doing that. That's the foolishness of discontentment. It's the same. Now recognize, it says, give a man everything he wants. It's not about the ladies here. Just if you give the man. So Vic, you're guilty. LuAnn, you're innocent. If you give a man. If you give a man everything he wants. Okay. So in America, over the last hundred years, we have seen much progress, haven't we? If you read the book Margin, it'll talk about progress. And what we've got to recognize is that though we are grateful for the progress and certain aspects of the progress, the progress has in many ways has promoted discontentment. Let me give you an example. Fifty years ago, if Tom and I were decided we we're going to go take a mission trip down to Texas and we were driving, it was 110 degrees out. We got the windows down. It's just smoldering hot. I remember back in 1990 when I graduated from high school. I drove with a buddy down to San Diego. And we went down through Redding, California. Have you ever been there? Oh, it's horrible. It was like 100. I, I didn't have air conditioning. I had a little Volkswagen, and, and I remember getting out of the car, and it was just, the seat was just saturated, just wet. Yeah. So 50 years ago or 60 years ago, if Tom and I were to go on that trip, we would be miserable. But one thing is for sure, we would not be discontent, right? Why? There wasn't air conditioning. See, discontent feeds on invention. It feeds on progress. Is there some positives to air conditioning? If you got it. But the problem is, is there's always something that you don't got. And the world is very good about showing you that. And the commercials are are wonderfully made to show you that you need this thing that you do not have. And that makes you horribly discontented. Yeah? You see, 50 years ago, Tom and I would have been horribly miserable, but we've been perfectly content. But if Tom and I were to take that mission trip today, we would not only be horribly miserable, we would be horribly and wonderfully discontent if we didn't have air conditioning in that car. And so what happens is when we get used to these things, see, in Africa, we're taking 99% of that stuff away. And so now I'm, of course, looking at the negative things of progress. Please, I'm not talking about the positive things today. There are positive things to progress. But I'm talking about the negative things of progress have made us very discontent. And the question is, when you look at the ladder and you look at the things and the people that have more than you, you can find a lot of discontentment about where you're at. But you want some power in your life? Get your eyes from going up the ladder and start looking down the ladder. Look at the, the people that have so much less than you have. If you want power to start breaking discontent, get your eyes from looking up and get it down to people that are less fortunate. You know, when Jesus says it's difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, everyone raise your hand. You're all guilty, you're all rich. Maybe you need a mission trip to Mexico to prove it, or a mission trip to Africa, or a mission trip to just about 90% of this world to prove it. But he wasn't saying about if you're a rich man in Bellevue. He didn't say if you're a rich man in Washington or even the United States. He says if you're a rich man. That means when you look at the whole thing, the whole earth, whoever is, it's difficult. Why? Because we don't find contentment in the Lord. We find contentment in things, in power, and in position. That's why it's so hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven because of the fleshly discontents that we have. And the more affluence that we have, the more discontent we usually are. But if you have found the secret of contentment in your life, then if you are a rich man, it does not matter to you. Yeah. If you have put yourself out of discontent, Into the rich bracket, you're in a miserable condition. But if the Lord has put you there, you're perfectly content. Whether you're there, or there, or there, you don't care. Why? Because most of your asset you're using to feed the bottom of the ladder anyway. You're giving it away. I have a secret for you. If you have a hard time with materialism, if you have a hard time with dealing with discontent over things, over status, I heard this from a missionary about 10 years ago. I don't remember a thing he said other than this, but he says, if you have a problem with that, start giving it away. Well, there's something inside you that says, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. I can't do that. I've built this thing. I need this thing. I believe that's the same question that Jesus asked that rich guy. I've kept all the commandments. I've done all the stuff. I do all the things. I pay all the tithes. I pray three times a day. Yeah? You've done well. Just sell your possessions and come follow me. Oh, that I cannot do. Yeah? Why? Because his contentment came in that. He didn't want contentment. He didn't want to trust the Lord, that the Lord would put him in any bracket he wanted. And he was looking at the Lord and saying, wait a second, you don't own anything, Jesus. You're a bunch of ragtag people walking around Jerusalem. You don't have a place to lay your head. I can't find contentment in there and I won't allow it to. He knew he was horribly miserable because his contentment came in stuff and he wasn't willing to break it. See, the Lord is not wanting to make you poor. He wants to make you free. He wants to free you from discontent. He wants to free us all from discontent. The author of this book, Margin, this is his reflections when the Lord convicted him said the pettiness of my own sources of discontent would be amusing were I not so repentant about them. I have been known to grumble when our house temperature drops to 60 degrees. Yet there are untold millions in the world who do not have shelter. I have been known to complain if the day is rainy, yet a large segment of the world's land is shriveling up in drought. I have been known to groan if I miss my dinner. Yet thousands who go to sleep tonight without food will not awaken in the morning. This relativism, where the grass is greener on your neighbor's lawn, can be remedied. But first, it must be confessed. We need to quit staring at those who have more than we do. We need to override the set point by spiritual maturity to look down rather than up. And to fix our contentment on godliness rather than relativism. It helps immeasurably if we are surrounded by a community of like-minded friends rather than a society where envy has been normalized. The normalization of envy is yet another reason why the achievement of contentment is difficult. The cultural message is strong. Why shouldn't we want what others have? We have rights, including the right to enjoy a good life. This, of course, is precisely the kind of logic That destroys not only contentment, but margin in our life. See, Paul said that if I have food and clothing, we will be content with that. We need to make that choice in our life. And this is something that is such a pervasive and a strong thing in this culture. That you're going to have to fight to find freedom in it. you got to be transparent with the Lord here. you got to say, Lord, I really give you permission to show me my discontent. You've got to mean it in your heart. You've got to so desire the mysteries and the secrets of contentment in Jesus Christ. It is only in that position where you truly desire to find contentment in Christ. At that moment, the power and the influence of things and positions and powers, they will be cut off. Then you'll be able to say with Paul, Regardless of my circumstance, I found contentment in Jesus Christ. Yeah? Many of our discontentments leads to anger and frustrations and jealousies. These are but the symptoms of the core problem of discontent. You can be discontent if you're poor, and you can be very discontent if you're rich. It is pervasive. But my challenge to you today, will you strive to find contentment in Jesus Christ? Will you allow him to be your all in all? Everything that you need can be found in relationship with Jesus Christ. This is what I don't want you to do. Don't try to cut the ties of the influences of this culture without changing it and exchanging it for Jesus Christ. It will be miserable for you. If you try to find contentment in anything other than Christ, you'll be sorely confused and agitated. But you can exchange it today. And it's a process. You are not going to wake up tomorrow with perfect contentment, nor next week or nor next month. But the Lord will teach you how to be content. As much as you need the Lord to teach you how to love, He must teach you how to be content in Him. But you must give Him permission today. You must say, Lord, I know that I have discontent in my heart. I know that I have believed the lie of this culture, the lie of this world, the lie of the enemy. I have believed it to some degree. Lord, truly search my heart and find the areas where I am discontented. May I truly be on the pathway of allowing you to satisfy me and be my God of all comfort. Would you let him challenge? You must be counterculture here. Do you recognize that? It's okay to be counterculture. Yes, yes. It's okay. But you have to be able to stand up and say, I am not going to be influenced by this culture anymore. Right. But I'm going to truly allow the Lord to transform my mind, my heart, my will, and my emotions. Would you put yourself today on the pathway of contentment through Jesus Christ? He will show you He has to show you. You can't do it on your own. He has to reveal it to you. You don't know your own heart. He does. He will reveal it to you in the most gentle of ways, precept by precept, only as much as you can take today. And as soon as you found contentment at that level, if you let Him, He will continue to bring you down that pathway where you continually find more contentment in Christ and less contentment in things other than Christ. I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you would. Let the Lord speak to you. The areas that I am discontented in, you may have perfect content. The areas that you're discontented in, I may be fully content. It is a personal thing. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. Contentment is a matter of the will. And discontentment is a matter of the will. The Lord's recommendation for you today is simply this submit your will to Jesus Christ. He will bring the revelation, He will bring the freedom, He will bring the miracle, He will reveal the secrets. You must only put yourself in a position to receive revelation. That is called a repentant heart. Repentance is the most beautiful thing and gift. That God has given you the chance to be convicted and the chance to repent and renew your relationship with Jesus Christ it's wonderful it's awesome would you allow the Lord to show you those areas would you give him permission today as tomorrow starts singing we're gonna sing the doxology which is a way that we close our services and at the conclusion of the doxology whether you want to stay in your seat whether you want to come up here and to spend a couple minutes doing business with Jesus, but would you simply submit yourself to the word today and say, Lord, I too want to find contentment regardless of circumstance because my relationship with you is so wonderful. Amen? Amen.
2: Now here is my friend Scott Farah and he's going to help you with your business.
5: Scott? Jesus teaches us that we should never do anything without making a plan first. Most small business owners fail to follow this biblical principle and do not have a written plan for where they want to be in one year, three years, five years. Yet every large business has a written plan. Many who wish to start their own businesses do not develop a plan first. This is one of the major reasons that 80% of all small businesses fail within the first five years. God worked through me to develop a unique educational program for business people. Quite frankly, this program has changed people's lives. If you currently own a business or if you're thinking about going into business for yourself, you need the independence program. Visit our website, independenceprogram.training. And if you choose to purchase this unique educational program, make sure that you use promo code WMI. It will give you a 5% discount.
1: So if what you have just heard resonates with you, and if you care and you want to be an unsung hero, I implore you, please take a few seconds to call us today and leave a message with a short prayer for us, because we need to know that you are with us and care enough to be part of the spark with us so that together we can move God to send a great awakening that can reverse the inevitability of God's coming judgment, according to what God spoke in Jeremiah 18, 7, and 8. We believe that if you joined hands with us, together we can save America from certain catastrophic judgment. So call now, okay? Dial 360-629-5248. And say a short prayer for us in your message. And leave your phone number too, okay? So one more time, 360-629-5248. Thank you and God bless.